0: Let's go.
1: You are listening to Dollars and Sensibility, the podcast that explores the numbers, concepts, and behaviors that shape your financial life. Hosts, business partners, and friends Bill McBride and Andrew Martz are financial advisors in Hollywood, California, that for a combined 35 years have helped thousands of individuals and businesses better their financial futures. Here, They want to open these discussions to you, the listener, share the many things they have learned, and of course, how to be sensible about your dollars.
2: Greetings and welcome back to another edutainment episode of Dollars and Sensibilities. I am Bill McBride here with my co-host, Mr. Andrew Martz. Andrew, how are you today? Doing fantastic, Bill. How are you? I'm doing phenomenal, And I've got a a question of the year since it's still January, instead of calling a question of the day. Andrew, when did you first pay taxes and did
0: anyone explain it to you? Huh, good question. Uh, I was probably, I want to say 14 or 15 years old, however old you got to be in New York State to get your working papers. I was a camp counselor or a junior counselor. And I'm assuming I paid taxes, and as you can probably <laughs> gather from my response, nobody explained it to me. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know how I filed, if I filed, if the employer had taken the taxes out, or what happened. I'm pretty sure mom and dad just took care of it at that point. Mm. Um, I, and the only recollection I have is I'm just basing that on when when I had like real reportable income, like when I had a real job and remember getting like the actual paycheck with a stub? Because everything prior to that was like cash and, you know, kind of like bootleg side huck- side hustles. Sh- shovel and snow, paperboy money. Things like that. How about you? When yeah. did you first pay taxes and did you know?
2: Um, yeah, no, I had a, I had a lot of that shovel and snow, a lot of paperboy money. I think I worked for four different newspapers <laughs> before I got out of high school. and But the the one job, uh, Foodorama Deli, um, it was a, it was a nightmare job, man. But it was, I remember it was $2 and one cent an hour. Uh, and then there was tips and there was all this talk about taxes on tips, but no, I, and I got it. I, somebody explained it to me, right? Like why, if I worked uh you know, a 10 hour shift that my paycheck wasn't 20 bucks, right? Like I'm going home with 16 change here. Like what's, what's that? And what they couldn't explain to me though is all the other stuff, FICO, Social Security, whatever kind of stuff. And and there's still like four-letter acronyms on on the the same ones on the paycheck that you know I think not a lot of people understand, but it all plays in. Um, we're gonna we're gonna discuss today just that taxes, the better of the two of life certainties, right? We got death and taxes and we're going to we're going to try to make taxes the happy part of this. It's just that time of year folks, right? You've got questions, we've got answers. We're going to we're going to go over some of the big misses that people make doing their taxes, either if they're doing it by themselves or with an accountant, but we're really going to wrap this episode up strong with the most common misconception of taxes which is the brackets. So trust me on this one. You probably thought you knew your entire life since you had that first job, how it works, but you're going to find out that you were scared about the jump in tax brackets and and things related to that for no reason. So it's a game changer, folks. Listen in. Let's jump in. Andrew, let's start out with some easy ones. Let's call these uh, Oops, I Forgot About
0: That one. Yeah, I think probably the easiest Oops, I Forgot About That one is the 1099. And because there are so many different ways that this document can come in. So first, what, what is, you know, a 1099, uh, the IRS tax code for, hey, you made some money and now we need to tell you about it. Uh, those documents are usually coming in right around this type of uh, this time of year. We know what you did
2: for your for your job last summer. <laughs>
0: That was a good one. That actually, that was a real LOL. Um, Yeah, so Uh, this is really common for, uh, one, independent contractors. So a lot of people who work in an industry like entertainment do do not have one employer or a steady W-2, but throughout the course of a year may work for five or 10 or 15 different Employers, because they're going from project to project, show to show, and it generates all of these different 1099s. Some of them can be very, very small. Some of them can be very, very large. Your bank will issue you a 1099 on the interest on your savings accounts. Your brokerage and investment accounts that are non-retirement accounts will issue you 1099. So the Robin Hoods, the E Trades, and a variety of other sources. So. I don't know if we want to go into details today about how to read the 1099, but we want to focus on simply that they exist and the IRS knows that they exist.
2: Yeah. And you mentioned, Andrew, too, about multiple 1099s. And I think, you know, certainly in the entertainment industry, you know, if you work on five shows in a year, right, you might forget about one, right? Right. So, So really the focus here is, folks, open your mail. Open your mail from January 15th until April 15th. You'll find that 1099s come in a variety of shapes and sizes. Usually they're, you know, eight by 10 or eight and a half by 11 pieces of paper folded up, but sometimes they can come in the bigger envelopes that might look like junk mail. Mm -hmm. If you've got a question and you you think, "I, I don't know, is this a 1099? It usually says it on the top left hand side, but better safe than sorry. Stick it in a pile, right? If you're paying a CPA to do this for you, they should be able to say, no, shred it. That's junk mail. Or, oh no, we have to report this. It's it's infinitely better to be safe than sorry in this in this situation because as I've seen, you know, I've I've had clients come to me and you know with a, a piece of mail from three years ago, and I go, Did you not open this? And I go, No, I don't know. It didn't look like anything important. Yeah. It turned out to be a ten ninety nine, and then you got to redo your taxes from three years ago, right? Um, or you know, or worse, right? If you if you got one and you just did your taxes um, last week, then you've got to go back and redo them again. So here's the lesson: the ten ninety nines are usually mailed out starting the middle of January, but they can come as late as April. So the bottom line: open your mail. When in doubt, put it in a folder marked "Ask the Accountant," and don't try to get your taxes done on January 2nd. Now, Andrew, uh, I I say this because we are in that sweet spot, right? Taxes are frustrating. Taxes are, um, nobody likes them, right? Death and taxes are the two things that we have to do and nobody likes either one. What I I see every year, without exception, is that we want to get it over with. That's a it's a novel idea, a noble attitude, a very um, a productive, ambitious way to think. But we're beholden to these companies, whether it's the bank issuing a 1099 or a, a contractor issuing a 1099, they're doing it on their schedule, right? There are timelines that the SEC requires uh, – you know, brokerage houses to follow in terms of issuing a ten ninety nine. But what I'm saying is, folks, save yourself a little frustration, right? And don't don't start until mid February, right? When you can kind of count the hey, I think I've got everything
0: now. Would you agree? Well, I think the yes and no because I think there's probably two types of people. There's the people who try to get it done immediately, and yeah. they get everything done by January fifteenth, and then realize a month later like, oh, there's still some documents coming in. And then there are the people who try to punt it until the extended date, you know, in September, October, and, you know, it's three years later and they're still filing 2019 taxes. So you you may be in one of those camps, right? The uh, perpetual procrastinator or the captain urgency who needs to get it done ASAP. The, as in most things in life, sweet spot probably falls somewhere in the middle where, hey, recognize that. Things like K-1s often don't come until sometimes April or May, right? So if you are an owner of like a limited partnership or something of that nature and you're collecting other forms of tax documents that are not a 1099 like a K-1, sometimes those can come in much later and it's very typical for those to come in May. So making sure you are aware of all of the things that are relevant to your tax situation, what are your sources of income and whether it's you know people get funny with this it's like well i don't count that as income because i don't use that money that doesn't matter if it right. if it you earned it whether it was passive earnings or active earnings meaning you you know you get up and you you perform a task for it then it's reportable to the IRS you know if you sold an asset you know bought an asset these are all things that that matter and are relevant to your tax situation. So in this conversation of 1099, I know we're talking about 1099s only, but I think also it, it's it's just a good moment to stop and pause and say, think about all of the sources of income that has helped increase your financial life. If you've got rental property, if you've got interest or dividend paying investments, stocks, bonds, real estate investments, things of that nature, all of these things are going to be reportable on your on your taxes,
2: yeah, the the side hustle like we talked about last week or a couple of weeks ago, right? It, it, and even if it's hospitality related, right? You might even have uh, reportable tips and things like that. And you know, again, just be patient because it it does take some of these companies some time to to issue these ten ninety nines. So that's a big one. Just unopen envelopes, folks. Charitable contributions, I think, is another one that a lot of people miss, right? We often think of you know the nickel and dime stuff, but nickels, you know, twenty nickels is a dollar, right? So if if we get that charitable contribution in there, uh, the five hundred dollars is the limit, right? So, folks, if you if you drop something off at the Salvation Army or, or the Goodwill, get that receipt that has a value, and you can actually itemize them. But up to five hundred dollars, you really don't need to. And I think you know. Most people that I encounter give some cl- kind of clothing away within the course of a year. Um, get that receipt, you know, even if it doesn't add up to 500 bucks, that's, that's money in your pocket for something you were doing anyway in a,
0: in a charitable contribution, right? So Elon on, Musk- on Charitable contributions, by the way, just a, a quick note. It does matter if you itemize or if you do not itemize. So if you are somebody who takes the standard deduction- and maybe you don't even know, maybe you're listening to this right now and you're like, I don't even know what that, that means. So there is a certain amount of exemption or write-offs that the government is just going to give you. Now that number has been increased in, in recent years uh, to the extent where I think they estimate now it's like 1 in 10 or 2 in 10 people itemize, where I think it used to be like six or seven out of 10 people uh, would itemize. But on the topic of charitable contributions, if you itemize, you can still deduct up to $300 worth of cash contributions per year in addition to your standard deduction. If you do itemize, there is less limitation, depending on if you're contributing cash or if you're donating clothes or cars or or things like that different types of contributions will have different limitations so consult your cpa consult your your tax professional but my point is that knowing whether you are an itemized filer or a non-itemized filer is is an important conversation to be having as you're preparing your taxes and certainly relevant towards the topic of charitable contributions and what i think we're about to talk to next
2: yeah, absolutely, right? Because they're beyond putting your old old shoes and uh, and T-shirts in the Salvation Army bin and getting that receipt, right? We go to the other extreme of this, which is the Elon Musk and the Jeff Bezos of the world that we talk so often about, Andrew, in terms of their income and the taxation. And I, I think one thing that we haven't hit on regarding uh, the, the billionaire club mm-hmm. is their write-offs, are a lot to do with charity, right? Mm-hmm. So like you said, there's some of these have seemingly limitless write-off capabilities. So how do you get $20 billion a year income and pay nothing in taxes? Well, you're probably giving some money to charity at some point,
0: right? And, and at that level, you are most likely starting a private foundation, i.e. the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, right? That That's right. where they have, right? There's there's real philanthropic efforts, there so they want to do something with their money they have more money than that they'll ever need or multiple generations through the family will ever need and have now made the decision hey we're going to give our our money via this foundation most people will not go that route because establishing a private foundation is a very costly endeavor and it only makes sense if you have billions of dollars not millions of dollars so people with millions of dollars will generally go about charitable contributions through a different mechanism like giving money to qualified 501c3s or organizations that qualify for that that charitable write off uh, right. they may utilize a donor advised fund they so there's a number of different mechanisms in which you can you can Go to accomplish that, but yes, it becomes a very, very powerful tool for the ultra wealthy, the high net worth, right? So the one to, to fifty million dollar people, or people who have not accumulated that that amount of assets, but are in high income tax brackets and are looking for ways to minimize their tax impact. Yeah.
2: So let's let's look, Andrew. Uh, I got a funny story for you. Uh, kind of a hybrid between these between these two of just uh, the minimum deduction at the goodwill versus the the charitable foundation you can make charitable contributions in in many different ways right you you send something to somebody on the internet or the the red cross uh or donate clothing or time you need to get that receipt but recently andrew i bought uh i tuned into pbs and riverdance was on you ever see that
0: it's been a while, but I'm, I'm intrigued to see where you're going to go with your Irish roots in this story.
2: Well, that's that, that's kind of the end of the story. I was like, oh, Irish roots. I'm I'm part Irish, mostly Irish. I guess, I don't know, whatever. I'm like, I need to see River. I don't even know what it's about, right? I'm like, I'm looking at this thing, and I'm like, okay, they're dancing, and I've seen the dance being made fun of by many a comedian, right? And I'm like, well, well geez, this is PBS, and, you know, I don't know. I grew up, with PBS was one of the four channels available. Long story short, er, I bought two tickets to (laughs) Riverdance because, well, because they tout it as well as, hey, this is a tax-deductible charitable contribution, right? Because PBS is a nonprofit. Get the tickets in the mail, Andrew, and
0: guess what? It's it's in a virtual excess- experience. <laughs> <laughs> you don't actually get to go to Riverdance. You're you're streaming no, it, in the metaverse. It, it,
2: it was River dancing lessons in Arizona. No, I'm just kidding. Um, it it is the charitable part. Of the contribution that's tax deductible is only that which is in excess of the value of the tickets. So I just thought that was interesting to mention in the in the current conversation, right? If you buy tickets for you know one hundred and eighty dollars, or you buy tickets for two hundred fifty bucks, and their value is one hundred and eighty, while well, you're only getting a seventy dollar write off, which is still fine.
0: What, you know, is, it, what it, do it, they it, value the tickets at? Who va- who it, values it? it at that PBS? Was
2: actual actual numbers. Actually, I I can't believe I spent two hundred fifty bucks for two tickets to Riverdance, but. There it is. Um yeah, 180. Sounds like is the a value. wild,
0: wild Friday night in your future.
2: Yeah, I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What do we got? What do we got going next? All right. So next we have um, general contrib- contribution is a write-off, um, but we're just gonna go with kind of write-offs in general. And and folks, this can't be understated. We are not CPAs or tax advisors or or legally allowed to give tax advice specifically to anybody. But we know this. If you're finally at a 1040 easy, you don't have to worry about this. But if not, we're talking about massive opportunities here that most people either miss completely or, or maybe even just miss one that could be significant, right? So, meals, entertainment, gas, mileage, insurance, uniforms. Uh, I've seen shoe shines and healthcare costs, co pays, COVID testing kits. That's a new one, right? Car maintenance. Hold on.
0: On this list here, you need to have the caveat. So some of these things are only qualified for people who are self-employed and or business owners, you know, and you have to file a schedule C which is a, your your business tax return. So th- this is not for the person who works for ABC Corporation and is a managing director and works 40 hours a week and gets a $180,000 salary and has a 401k plan to benefits. So you can't you can't write these things off if you are getting a W2.
2: Mostly. Right. You do have there are some, some of those people. Right? But s- some some, of right? these some in that sales will will have what they call unreimbursed expenses. Right. Correct. So unreimbursed meal expenses and entertainment. And that just means, you know, you're working for ABC Corporation and they give you an expense account and you take everybody to dinner and it goes five hundred dollars over your expense account and you and you take that five hundred dollars over out of your own pocket. That that can be. We're not saying right. Your so t- typical write-offs situation. for
0: yeah. most that most people will qualify. You're going to get mortgage interest expense on your primary residence, unreimbursed healthcare expense that exceeds seven and a half percent of your adjusted gross income, charitable contributions. If all of the aggregate of these items that I'm mentioning is in excess of your standard deduction, and that's. That really probably should be how we end this section, right, is as you're compiling your write-offs, and there are lots of ways you can search the internet to see what you qualify for, and there's lots of lists and CPA firms who have written blogs about this, but as you're compiling your list of what you may potentially be able to write off, at the end of the day, you need to add all those different things up and see if it exceeds the standard deduction that you are Entitled to based on your filing status, meaning whether you're filing single, filing married, you know jointly, uh, so on and and so forth.
2: Yeah, and and if you're if if you have an accountant or a CPA that's doing it for you, put your receipts together, put them in a pile, try to organize them. Hey, this is this is meals, and this is you know mileage or gas and, and those kind of things. The more informed you can be walking into that tax meeting with your accountant, uh, the better you're going to do and the better they're, they're going to be able to do for you. So.
0: Right. And, na- and that, that number, by the way, that, that standard deduction for single filers in the most recent tax update, um, the tax cut jobs act in 20, was that 2017, 18, 17, 17. Yeah. Um, for single filers up to 12,000 now $500 for married filing jointly is over $25,000. So that's, that's a pretty high number to exceed which is why less and less people are itemizing their their expenses today.
2: Absolutely. All right, now we get to the magic hour or 10 minutes maybe, maybe 15, we'll see. The smartest people I've met Andrew with very little exception do not get this concept. We think about it every year, sometimes every paycheck and the concept is tax brackets. I've been waiting for this episode, I don't know why I didn't mention it before, Andrew, I'm I'm like, this this is a big one for me. And every person I've spoken to about this has gone, wow, I've been thinking about it wrong my entire life. So we're gonna look at what you thought you were paying in taxes and what you actually pay in taxes. And the answer is always, always a pleasant surprise. And I think it's largely due to the brain's need to simplify things, but let's talk it out. Now, we're just audio here without a blackboard, so we're going to keep it super simple, and we also are going to try to include a link to one of the brackets we are talking about in our example, all right? Andrew, tell me, before you were a financial advisor and before being in the business, if I said to you, son, you make $100,000 a year, and that puts you in the 24% tax bracket, what would you
0: say your taxes are? Well, I'm just going to play your game, so... (laughs) (laughs) Gee, Bill, uh, am I going to pay twenty four thousand dollars in taxes? When you were a camp a camp counselor and you got a hundred thousand dollar paycheck, were you listening to my story? When I was a camp counselor, I didn't know I was paying taxes. Somebody, <laughs> yeah, I know exactly. Somebody, well, somebody paid them or filed so, them or I don't know what happened. But yeah, so I, be so, real, yes. So to, let's say you know it, the if you read a statement like that, I think ninety nine out of hundred people's brains go to I'm paying twenty four thousand dollars in taxes. Exactly. So. Here's the two words to remember, marginal
2: and effective. Marginal is the bracket you are in, which does not mean that you just times your income by that marginal rate and there's your tax liability, right? So 100 grand a year at 24% tax bracket marginally doesn't mean you're going to pay $24,000 in taxes, okay? Okay. The reality is, it's only one step more complex than that to get to the truth, which is your effective tax rate. Your effective tax rate is what you actually pay, and this will be clear as day in a second. And I can already hear light bulbs going off around the podcast universe on this. So there's some math here. I'm gonna I'm gonna blaze through it, uh, and then we're gonna. Do Andrew, you and I will do a little little Q and A and clarification afterward, okay? I, I just think it's for the listeners. It's going to be you know difficult unless you got a pad and paper or you're looking at a 2022
0: single bracket filing um, chart. I I can promise you that any of our loyal listeners are used to at some point during an episode one of your math rants that. Yeah. <laughs> leaves them scratching having to hit the rewind button at least four times and listening to twice this uh, one's and important. we love you and we thank you for doing that <laughs> all of you listeners in podcast land
2: i wouldn't do it if now, i did not with that beneficial. being said
0: i cannot wait to hear this let's go all right
2: here's the example a hundred thousand dollars in income there are seven tax brackets for 2022 those brackets are 10%, 12%, 22%, 24%, 32%, 35%, and 37%. If you make $100,000, you are in the 24% bracket. The 24% bracket states that your income is between $89,075 and $170,050. For this bracket, your tax is not simply 24% of $100,000 as we just said before in the example. It is actually... $15,213 plus 24% of the amount over $89,000. So here's your extra steps. $100,000 minus that $89,000 limit is $9,925. 24% of that is $2,382. Okay? I like to call this $2,382 your bracket liability as each bracket has this phrase of quote, of the amount over the lower number in the bracket. So next, we add the base tax for that 24% bracket. Remember, that's $15,213. Let's call that the bracket base. Add it to the bracket liability, right? So $15,213 plus $2,382. Voila. Your tax liability is actually $17,595. Since our example is 100,000, we can see now that our tax rate is effectively 17.5%. So, going back, your brackets to 24% bracket, you look at it and you go, I made 100 grand, I'm paying $24,000 in taxes. Your effective rate, because of the way these bracket works, which we're outlining here, is actually 17.5%. It's a difference of almost $7,000. Now, if you're curious how the IRS gets these numbers, the answer is mathematically kind of easy. I love this. I'm a geek for this stuff. But they take the percentage of each range and they add them up. So more easily understood, you're not paying your marginal rate on all your money you're paying 10% on the first 10,000, 12% on 10 to 41,000 and so on for each bracket. So, mathematically, you will never pay the marginal rate of your taxes. Right? If if your right. marginal rate is 24% and and I went back and did some math here, Andrew, like If you're making the most in each price, it's just mathematically impossible if you think about it, because if you're paying 10% on the first 10,000, you're never going to pay that marginal rate, even if you're in the the top margin. So if somebody ever says they pay 37% in taxes, now you know, they're either lying or giving extra money to the government.
0: So can I push back a little bit? Do it.
2: (laughs) You know You got to push back on math?
0: Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to push back from a financial planning standpoint. If I am a, you know, we started this conversation off talking about 1099 income and we know that in our economy, more and more people are moving towards self-employment and or side hustle type of businesses where they don't have traditional W-2 income and taxes taken out every single pay period, which leaves the responsibility on the earner, on the individual, to set aside money to pay taxes, whether you're doing that quarterly or you're paying that at the end of your, at the end of the year when you're, you're filing your taxes. If I think about this concept, 24%, You know, if I'm on a run rate to make $100,000 this year, give or take, and as a rule of thumb, I start to save in my savings account, $24,000 for my assumed tax bill. Mm-hmm. I disagree with none of your math, and all of what you just said is 100% factually accurate for federal taxes. Now, if you live in a state like California and or New York, you're going to also have high State tax rates, which could amount to anywhere between 3, 5, 7, up to 13%. Again, that's not that, that it's going to be a marginal rate, not an effective rate on your state tax liability. You may have other taxes that are owed as well, things like self employment tax. And so, my point is if you're using that marginal rate as a bogey to help you save for taxes, I think it's good and I think it's a prudent exercise. But to reiterate, it is not going to be directly correlated to to the amount of dollars that you pay on your gross annual income. And there's a lot of factors that are gonna go back, that are gonna go into that. You can go back to episode seven, Tackling Taxes, when we talked about all the different parts of the tax system and how to file taxes. But you're right, there, there are gonna be things that will lower your tax liability, right? write-offs, deductions, charitable contributions, contributions to tax-deferred accounts, so on and so forth. Um, So all these things you can do to reduce your adjusted gross income or your taxable income. And then you're going to pay on this more tiered rate opposed to just the stated rate. But I do think that there's some prudence in using that number as a bogey because a lot of people. Just forget about state income tax. They forget about self-employment tax. They forget about all of these other things. They forget about the fees they got to pay their accountant at the end of the year, which may amount yeah. to a half percent or one percent of their, their income for the year. So yeah. all, all of that being said, I want to be clear, I 100% agree with what you're saying. But I don't want to mislead to think that hey, your tax bill is always going to be lower because here's what happens with with human nature. We say, oh great, well now I can go take that extra seven percent bill just said <laughs> I'm going to save, and I can go get myself uh, new shoes, you know, new TV, new whatever.
2: Yeah, Andrew, and I couldn't agree wrong. more. I, I, well, I, I think I think you could also say that, in a different way, it's a it's a very smart way to save. Some money. It's a nice surprise. And then a lot I know a lot of people do this with their tax returns, like they'll have money withheld from distributions or stuff so that they so that they don't end up writing a check because that's a bad feeling. I'm a hundred percent behind this when it comes to taxes. If you're in the twenty-four percent tax bracket because your income is there, now you know that you're not gonna pay twenty-four percent on that income, right? You're actually effectively going to pay about 17%. But when you get those paychecks, if they're not taking 24% out or you get your 1099s, save that 24%. What's the worst that could happen, right? And again, it's a whole separate issue. The state taxes, same theory, same concept. There's marginal and effective brackets. And you always want to oversave when it comes time to, to pay for taxes. There's the gamblers out there, of course, um, that, would, that would say, oh, you know, well, I'll worry about that when the time comes. And if you make enough money to do that and you have enough liquid cash, that's fine. But 100% save whatever your marginal rate is and give yourself a little bonus when it, the effective rate comes out lower, which it always does mathematically. The one point I wanted to get to people, Andrew, today is the thought process I have seen when it comes to taxes is I don't want to be in that next tax bracket. What we've proven today is that you should, right? Because you're making more money. Just because you make $10,000 more this year doesn't mean you should sandbag it to make make it next year because you think your base salary is going to be lower, right? Or you think your bonus is going to be lower. I don't see any mathematical situation where it's not going to benefit you to make an extra dollar, $10,000 or $100,000 in a given year, okay? Mm-hmm. Certainly, if you have some kind of contract where you know one year is going to be 30000 and the other year is going to be 300000 in income, you know, then you can do a little bit more careful planning about how to spread that liability out. But do not be afraid, folks, to make more money. So, I Hey, I second that notion. Right let's on. Make mo- All let's right. make more money. Let's look out for some more tax tips in a few weeks, folks. This is the time of the season. There's a lot to cover here. And even if you think you've been paying taxes for your whole life, you may be shocked to find some things you didn't know. Times change, and so do dollars and sensibilities. Thanks again. Please like, comment, tell a friend, listen wherever you get your podcast. For Dollars and Sensibilities, I am Bill McBride. And Andrew Martz. Thanks for listening. Cheers.
1: Thank you for listening to the Dollars and Sensibility podcast. Be sure to hit the subscribe button so that you can join us for each and every episode. Follow us on social media at WIS Advisors and be sure to check out our website at wisadvisors.com. Tune in for the next step on the bridge between dollars and the mind of the sensible investor. Thanks for listening. Bill McBride and Andrew Martz are investment advisor representatives and registered representatives with Western International Securities Incorporated. All the opinions expressed by Andrew, Bill and all podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Western International Securities. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Western International Securities may maintain positions discussed in this podcast.